Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am trying to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now this week you've got quite a bit to get through. We've got an allotment update coming up a little bit later on. We're also going to be talking about seed saving. But before that, let's have an update from the home garden. So the home garden this week, there's been quite a few changes that have been happening. I'm going to start off in our front driveway garden. Driveway garden is a fairly recent project and it's been very, very successful. Basically our driveway is, it's a driveway, we've got pebbles to one area, we've got solid concrete to another area, so I've planted out loads of fruit bushes and trees in pots out there, and I've placed those on top, and it's done very, very well, been very productive, and we keep adding more and more plants to this area. But one of the things I've noticed is underneath the pebbles, we've been getting a lot of weeds pop up, including bamboo. So what I've had to do is, this week, I've just moved all the plants that are in pots over to one side to keep them all together so I can pull out some of these weeds, which is always a challenge. I mean, the pebbles have not made it easy at all. But what is interesting is this bamboo. We've never planted bamboo out the front. It's not something I would particularly choose to grow. So to see it popping up in the front driveway was quite unusual. But what it turned out is that the previous owners, they had planted bamboo out there. We've always noticed this concrete slab in the corner. We never really knew what it was. Well, this concrete slab was actually put there to kill off the bamboo that was growing there, which is pretty novel, I've got to say. We did have some privet bushes that were growing there that we removed Uh, last year I think it was maybe uh, beginning of this year what that has done is it opened up the area and allowed this bamboo to come back through now what's quite amazing we've lived in this house for eight years and that bamboo has never shown itself yet somehow it has popped up We've got to remove it again and we'll keep trying to get it. We're also getting a bit of mare's tail as well, which is interesting because we're not quite sure where that's coming from. Well, actually, our neighbours used to have it in their garden and when they relayed their driveway, got it all resurfaced, we think the mare's tail has crept in onto our side. So we've got to try and get rid of that as well. So just by moving all the plants that we have in pots to one side, just going to give me a bit easier time to do that. Now out to the back garden where we've been doing quite a bit of weeding again. This is always a challenge, isn't it? We're trying to keep on top of the weeds, so I'm always removing them. But I'm also removing some of our dead and dying leaves in order to try and keep things looking good. Our cucumber plants are starting to wither and die back and our courgette plants is producing some poor leaves every now and then. So I'm just constantly trying to remove those and pop those into the compost heap. This just rejuvenates, I think, and it makes the plants, especially the courgette plants, just look a little bit better and nicer. We're still getting quite a few courgettes, still getting quite a few cucumbers as well, so it, it's well worth doing, just trying to keep the healthy leaves looking good. It's the same with brassicas as well. In fact, what I would say is that whenever you get yellowing leaves, it's always worth removing them if you can, especially on the brassicas. 
Now, the reason I say that on the brassicas, the yellowing leaves is actually encourages slugs and snails because it's starting to die off the slugs and snails find that as an easy target so it's always worth good husbandry of keeping your plants removing those yellowing leaves well worth doing on that note nasturtiums we planted out they've been growing like mad and actually creating this real nice looking plants that cover quite a vast area with these nice peppery leaves and flowers they've been great this year we've added those in to our home garden here and they've added this nice color this nice plant and like in the tomato patch where we have no tomatoes now it has really actually made it still look good which i'm really pleased about and it just hides like where we have one nasturtium near our compost bins it's sort of blended the compost bins into the area and made it look nice so i'm very very happy with that now last week I spoke about planting out a load of Swiss chard. They have established quite nicely and seem to be growing as well. We've still got quite a few more Swiss chards so I've been looking at other places that I can just pop those in. And anywhere I can fit them in is what I'm doing. So I've got them in front of the subpod, my subterranean compost bin. I've got them to the side. We have got them in the veggie pod. Just try and use them up. But at the same time, I'm making sure they're not going in places that I'm not going to be planting out some plants or sowing some seeds pretty soon. So what I mean by that, at the moment I'm sat just in front of the bean bed, or what was the bean beds, where I've got Swiss chard now planted in about half of a bed but we've got a bit of space where we're going to be planting out our garlic and maybe even some onions that's going to be happening pretty soon actually so that bed is dedicated or going to be dedicated for that we're probably going to plant out some daikon radish in here as well so and it's the same with some of the other beds anywhere that is empty i'm putting in swiss chard unless I'm going to be using it anytime soon. And this is just to try and use up the Swiss chard. Now, I spoke about the tomato bed earlier. That was a bed that I built this year with no wooden sides. And it's at the front towards the house. I've been planning a lot of what I'm going to do in this area. And I've probably spoken about this quite a bit because I need to build some new beds over the winter to use this area. I've decided I definitely want wooden sided beds. It's just a bit easier for me. Now that's not saying that the cardboard with a mulch on top didn't work. It did work. It just for me I found it very difficult to try and keep it looking presentable. So I have been designing a lot of plans and I've decided I'm going for three metre long by 90 centimetre wide beds in that area. I'm doing that because I just think it's going to look a, a quite nice and add a bit of variety to our garden as well. I've been really thinking a lot about vegetable garden design lately. I want next year to have a bit of a focus on making the garden looking more aesthetically pleasing. Normally it's not aesthetically pleasing. I'm probably my worst critic. But I just want it to really look aesthetically pleasing. This has been involving going on Pinterest and getting ideas and making pins of it. And just seeing what other people are doing to try and get my own signature look for my garden. That's what I'm looking for. I've always described my garden as being a very productive and an engineer's garden in that everything works. But next year I really want to make it look like it looks really good as well. 
Now, talking of next year, something I have been doing a bit more this year is saving seeds so I can use them next year. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit later on. But first, let's find out what's been going on in the Supporters Club this week. This week in the Supporters Club, we've been sowing a couple of seeds. So the first one that we have sown is a type of mustard called wasabini named after wasabi so we're expecting it to be a very hot spicy mustard and we've also sown some peas and meteor these are going to be an overwintering pea which will hopefully give us an early harvest of peas next year added to that we've also been talking about photography and how it can help with our gardening now the supporters club is something that i run in order to keep this podcast running and moving forward to be a member you head to the veggrowpodcast.co.uk and for five pound a month you become a member you get extra behind the scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month and those seeds can be sown in that very month to find out more head to the veggrowpodcast.co.uk but you may be thinking to yourself i don't really want to become a member i can't afford it but i still want to support the podcast well there is a way that you can still support the podcast head to your podcast provider be itunes amazon music spotify and leave us a comment leave us a review leave us a rating it really does help get us found on the podcast providers We're going to be talking about seed sowing next. And one thing that I want to say before we get started, we don't save seeds from F1 varieties of plants. F1 varieties are a crossbreed, probably the easiest way to describe it. So when you use F1 seeds, you may not get a seed that is true to what you originally had. Now, that's not to say you won't get anything from it. It just may not be a true seed. But let's go find out more about seed saving. While I'm here in my potting shed, just going through some of the seeds, and in particular seeds that I have saved this year. We've done really well with a wide variety of different seeds. And one of the things that I've been trying to do this year is to try and save money. Of course, we're looking at the cost of living crisis. And I've always felt that seed saving is one of those things that it is very good for saving money. Now, I also think that seed saving has the added advantage that if you are saving seeds from plants that have done well in your garden this year, those genetics are going to be passed on into next year's. So hopefully you end up getting better and better crops, but also the plants are taking on the genetics and getting better at growing in your garden used to your conditions used to your growing techniques used to your gardening style just getting better and better but that's only by saving the biggest and the best seeds from it so how or what should we do now when i've spoken to people about this in the past what has been recommended when it comes to seed saving is that you actually set up a part of your garden or a part of your allotment that you grow plants in separated from the rest that are just for seed saving however in reality that is not possible is it we don't have huge gardens we may not even have huge allotments 
The reason that that is recommended is to try and prevent cross-contamination, which is something that does happen, especially when it comes to squash plants. A courgette and a pumpkin is something that could cross-pollinate and you end up with what you think is a pumpkin seed, but it could turn out to be a courgette. It does happen. One example, I got Crown Prince pumpkin seeds this year from a seed swap but what has turned up is not crown prince pumpkins i can tell that they're still pumpkins they're still going to be edible but they're definitely not the crown prince plants that i was expecting not a huge problem but it just goes to show how cross-pollination can be a problem now in reality as i said it's not always possible to try and segregate these plants off so what i like to do is just grow these plants like normal and then try and leave a few to go to be saved. So where do we start? I think the easiest plant that I have found to save seed on is garlic. So each year I plant out my garlic and I plant several different varieties. When it comes to harvesting, I select the biggest bulb and I put that to one side because I'm going to be planting that again next year. Now this is the same with my elephant garlic which gets bigger and bigger each year because I'm passing those genetics on. I'm saving my own seed. My garlic last year I did have to replace because it was just not performing as well as it has in the past. But again we've saved the biggest bulb. We're going to plant those cloves out next week and that should hopefully mean that those bigger bulbs are going to keep coming next year and in following years. As long as we keep up We've looking after the plants like we normally would, giving them the best feed, the best watering regime, and so on, that we end up with bigger and better garlic. Now for me, the next easiest plant to save seeds on is peas and beans. And this is something that we have actually done quite a bit of. Now peas have been a bit of a problem for me this year, as I've said before. But some of the peas that we have not harvested in time, they've gone a bit dry, we have used those for saving the seeds. And it's the same with some of the beans. I mean, we've had a good harvest of runner beans and French beans, but I have left a few of those beans to go a little bit old so that the skin goes dry, the pods go dry, and then we harvest those and dry them out. And one of the, my favourite ones that I've done this with this year has been the Bellotti beans, those beautiful red and white beans. Now, we're obviously growing Bellotti beans for dried beans anyway, so we were leaving those to dry out before harvesting them. So that has been a pretty easy thing. We've got a good lot in the larder. But I've also saved a few of those beans to be planted out next year. Now, what do I mean when I say we dry the pods out? What we do is we just leave those pods on the plant and we wait until you can shake the pods and you can hear the beans inside rattle and the same with peas you hear them rattle the pod goes quite dry not the green color you would normally expect almost brown color when you can hear them rattle then i like to harvest the pods off the vines and then what I'll do is I'll take them home and then I'll put them on my kitchen windowsill to dry out a little bit further for maybe a week or two. After that time, I will then separate the beans or the peas from the pods. And then again, I will keep those beans or peas in the, another container on the kitchen windowsill for another week or two just to thoroughly dry out before we put them into storage. To store them, what I usually do is put them into envelopes. I label the envelopes up with what the beans is, where they were grown and the year. 
so that next year we know we can use them quite nicely. Then what I do is I keep all my seeds in a fridge inside this shed. I keep them in containers as well inside the fridge. The reason I choose a fridge is that I find it helps contain a cool, consistent temperature. It's dark when the door's shut and it does tend to keep firming out quite nicely. So it, for me, an old fridge has been a great thing to use for seed storage. And beans and peas are one that vermin are particularly fond of because they can obviously eat the beans, eat the peas. So get them in a the fridge and possibly even inside another container in there as well. What I also do is throw in a couple of sachets of the Celica gel. These are those little paper bags that you often find when you buy electrical equipment in the packaging. I throw those into the fridge as well and they just act as a moisture absorber to try and keep out some of them, the moisture. Obviously, you don't want to be eating those. That's why they say do not eat on them. You don't want to be eating those. So you've got to try and make sure when you use your seeds, you don't pick those up by accident as well. Garlic, peas and beans, I feel, are some of the easiest if you want to start with. Squash are pretty easy as well. But as I said, the risk is with cross-contamination. So what I find with squash, and I will probably still save some seeds to do this. Let's take a pumpkin, the good old pumpkin. We harvest a pumpkin like normal, and then when we cut it open and scoop out the seeds that we, uh, when we're going to use the pumpkin, we scoop out the seeds, we give the seeds a really, really good wash, make sure there's none of the pumpkin left on them, and then we, again, dry them on a windowsill to make sure there's no moisture on the seeds and then we store those nicely. Now what we usually find with the pumpkin seeds is the fatter plumper seeds are the ones that are most likely to germinate. They are most likely to produce plants. The thin ones maybe not so much so you may want to use those for something completely different or put them to one side. Basically not worth trying to grow plants from them but certainly the plumper ones courgettes it's slightly harder to do because we tend to pick the courgettes when they're a little bit younger but if we let the courgettes grow a little a little bit older and you know they almost start to change color because they're getting old that's when we want to harvest the seeds from those and in fact as we move on through many of our other plants our fruiting plants that is tomatoes peppers chilies when it comes to saving seeds from those we really want them to be very very ripe you know we often pick chilies when they're green and they're underripe generally you want to wait until they're red and they bit cooler usually at that point but that's when the seeds are more likely to be ready you got to remember that this is all about re reproduction for the plants. So they are holding off to try and make those seeds a little bit stronger to pass on their plants. Now, what other plants might we want to save seeds on? There's hundreds and hundreds out there, but I'm all about trying to make it easy for ourselves. So something I have been doing this year is with our carrots. So while I've done, I took a big round plastic container which I filled up with compost and I sowed some carrot seeds into that and that produced some beautiful carrots. Now we have been harvesting those carrots to try and eat at the same time and they're doing great. But what I've also got to do is just leave a few carrots in there, 
Carrots are biannual, so they won't flower this year, but next year they will grow back. They will die down over winter, but they will grow back, flower, and then produce seeds. And what I want to do with that is just let those seeds fall back down into this plastic container. That way, in theory, this is just replicating nature. What it will mean is I don't have to sow seeds in that particular container the following year. So that would be 2025 because the seeds are already in the soil. As easy as that, it really is. They're just going to do the work for me. Now, in theory, they might actually set seed next year. I'm not entirely sure. This is something I've read about and something I'm going to experiment with to find out the best. But for me, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I haven't got to worry about trying to save seed and making sure that it's, we then sow the seed. Now, I don't know if you've done anything like that yourself, but to me, it's something I'm trying this year to save some carrot seeds, and hopefully it's going to lead to more and more carrots. I believe the same could be done with parsnips for that matter as well. Now, talking of these root vegetables, root vegetables can produce quite a bit of seeds. So our radishes, our beetroot, etc., etc. We tend to harvest them before they produce seeds. But again, if we leave a few in the ground to go to seed, we wait until the seeds are nice and dry before we harvest them. And then we harvest all those seeds. We let them dry out. We pop them into storage, into envelopes, labelled nicely, and we have plenty of seeds for us to use the following year this is again something that i have been doing this year with our beetroot and our radish and i'm hoping next year it's going to lead to more seeds for us as well we're going to get more vegetables that we haven't had to buy seeds in for so that's just a few ideas i've got for seed saving that i wanted to talk to you about today and hopefully it's going to inspire you to do the same the great thing at this time of year is that a lot of our plants are starting to go to seed it is the ideal time to start saving a few seeds and if it's something that you want to do then please do and share with us how you get on we may revisit this again in the future because it's something that i certainly am trying to do more and more of but let's move on from that because scott is back with another fantastic recipe let's go see what he's got this week hi it's scott here and this week i want to share a bit of a secret in the restaurant industry and it's a recipe for a base gravy for curries a base gravy is used as a starting point for all of the curries on the menus of most of our favorite restaurants and takeaways most curries require long, slow cooking, and the base gravy allows restaurants to give the flavour of long, slow cooking in the final curries, but with them being cooked to order in minutes. And it's this base gravy that gives that authentic takeaway taste. I learnt this secret years ago, when on my days off from my own kitchen, I would work in my local Indian restaurant. Remember, this is just a base gravy and not a final curry and we will use this as a starting point for curries that I will share in the coming weeks. It's a fantastic way to preserve our produce and is great for the freezer and will allow you to make authentic tasting curries in minutes. This recipe will make enough gravy for about six different curries that will serve two to four people each time. And so, to the recipe. Ingredients. One and a half kilos of red or white onions, roughly chopped. 
1 kilo of fresh tomatoes, roughly chopped, 200 grams of red and green peppers, roughly chopped, 150 grams of roughly chopped carrots, 150 grams of cabbage, roughly chopped, 60 grams of garlic paste, 60 grams of ginger paste, 3 bay leaves, 1 cinnamon stick, 3 cardamom pods, 10 grams of ground coriander, 10 grams of ground cumin, 15 grams of paprika, 15 grams of turmeric, 35 grams of curry powder, 50 grams of tomato puree, 150 millilitres of veg oil, and 2.5 litres of water. Method. Start by adding the oil to a big saucepan, then add the onions and cook on a medium heat until the onions just start to soften. Then add the spices, ginger and garlic, followed by the carrots, peppers and cabbage. Give this a stir around, then add the tomatoes and the tomato puree, followed by the water. Bring to the boil, then cover with a lid and cook on a medium-low heat for about 40 minutes. Then remove the lid and turn the heat up slightly and cook for another 20 minutes to reduce the gravy. After about 20 minutes, blitz the gravy with a stick blender or in a food processor to create a smooth sauce. You want to end up with the consistency of a tomato sauce. If it's a little thick, you can thin it down with a splash of water. Allow to cool, then split the mixture into about six portions and freeze. And that's the gravy done. I will follow this up in the next couple of weeks with some curry recipes where you can use this gravy. Hope you enjoy. Well, we're going to end this podcast here on the allotment with the allotment update. Now, I came down here this evening. It's Monday evening. Last night, we had a most amazing storm come through. The lightning was just incredible. And one thing that I've discovered is there was a post on Facebook that a street not far from this allotment actually had a mini tornado come through. So I wanted to come down here this evening and just check to make sure there was no damage. Luckily, from what I can see, we haven't had any damage other than a couple of little bits of rhubarb that have been broken. Nothing too serious, so that's quite lucky. Unfortunately, the post on Facebook I saw, let's just say the cars and even some of the trees and houses were a complete and utter mess. So what has been going on here on the allotment this week? Quite a bit, actually. We've done quite a few things. The first thing that I've noticed is that I've had to really keep on top of the weeds. It's been a bit easier this week because weather has been a little bit cooler and it's been nice to get down into here after work and actually be able to crack on and do a lot of weeding. Now, weeding, I know, is something I go on about every week and it feels like it's all I do. But it's such an important part because all the time we're removing those weeds, we're preserving some of the nutrients for our plants. And the more that we keep on top of it, the easier it is to keep our gardens and plants maintained. And this is why I say little and often is the biggest tip I've got for trying to tackle weeds. And when I say little and often, you've probably heard me say it, but I'm going to say it again. We make regular visits to this allotment. We do a little bit of weeding every day and we keep on top of it. That's what I mean by little and often.
Now added to that, something else that I have noticed this week is that our allotment has had a fresh delivery of these wood chips, which is interesting because our allotment society doesn't actually know where it's coming from. They just keep turning up. Now, based on that, I'm not actually a member of our allotment society. I am going to become a member, uh, but at the moment I'm not. But based on the fact that they don't actually know where these wood chips are coming from, it's not costing them anything, the wood chip is available for everybody to use. We get manure delivered to our site quite often, although it hasn't happened for a while, but that is only available for people who are members who have put a fiver in the pot to help pay for the manure delivery. But the wood chip, because they're not paying for it, it's open for everyone to use. So I've been grabbing quite a bit more of that and just chucking that in underneath my fruit trees, my fruit plants, mulching the soils, helping reduce those weeds, reducing the amount of work that I do at the same time, which is great. And it really does make a big difference. I've got to say, I've had so many of these wood chips and particularly at the top part of my allotment where it's always been traditionally quite difficult for me to maintain, it really has reduced the amount of work that I need to do. And added to that, we can also add wood chips to our compost bins as well. So if you can get hold of wood chips, make the most of them. Now, what I have also done this week, if I've sown some overwintering peas, this is a variety called Meteor, which is a wrinkly variety. I've sown some this week. In a few weeks, I will sow some more. In a few weeks, I will sow some more. And the idea behind these is that we're actually just getting these growing now, getting those established and starting to grow. Over winter, they should grow quite nicely. And as long as it doesn't get too cold, or if it does get too cold, we will have to protect the plants. They should actually grow right throughout the winter. And then that will go on to give us a very early load of peas next year. I try and do this every year. This year, peas have been a little bit tricky for me to grow for some reason. Well, actually, it's been tricky to get them to germinate. But I'm going to try and make a good effort next year. So I want to sow quite a few of these overwintering peas. So I've got loads in the freezer ready to go. Now, interestingly, I'm just looking at my asparagus bed. This is another area that I've had to clear out quite a few weeds. But what's interesting is that the asparagus has put up some fresh spears now i could actually harvest those spears looking at them because they're that young and fresh i'm not going to because i'm gonna leave that so it puts its energies into the roots below the ground to get it through the winter now i think this is because the weather has just suddenly changed over this last couple of weeks and we've had this sudden warm hot which is unseasonal i think they've just decided to put on a bit of growth which is great it should mean that we get good asparagus next year but what I'm going to be doing with this bed is clearing out all the weeds of course adding a good mulch of compost and a good mulch of seaweed throughout the next few months especially before the cold weather really gets in just to try and protect those crowns. Now the unseasonally weather that has brought on this asparagus isn't unusual but I've seen quite a few people getting some surprising things turn up. Somebody in our Facebook group has said that they've suddenly got strawberries on their plants which is unusual for September. Not completely unusual, it's not unheard of but this unseasonal weather really has changed things. Our leeks in our leek bed are looking great. I've given those a really good weeding this week, actually. But they are looking really good. They're going to need a good handful of chicken manure pellets just to give them a bit of a, a kickstart, just to get them really growing. But they're actually looking really, really good. We're certainly going to have plenty of leeks this year, to say the least, which is great, because I normally find 
I don't grow enough leeks. We do enjoy a lot of leeks in our household, especially over winter time. So this year, having this many leeks is looking really good. And what I've got to say, actually, what I've noticed is that we've not suffered much leek rust on these. Normally, like my garlic, we get leek rust on these. But they've usually gone into the ground much earlier. These ones, although they were sown at the same time, they didn't actually go into the ground till after my first early potatoes were harvested. And then the leeks went in following on from that. So to actually see that they're doing well, I'm happy with that and avoided any leek rust. So I'm very, very happy with that. So they're just going to need a good feed. Now I've also dug over the second early potatoes, the Charlotte potatoes, just to get those at home so we can start eating them. A good crop of Charlotte potatoes in the ground actually, much better than what we did in pots at home. And this is just to free up more space, like I've said. We're just trying now get the potatoes out we're going to get our kale and brassicas in here next week there's going to be a lot going on next week actually a lot of plants are going to have to be planted out so keep listening next week to find out what's going on there right well that brings us up to the end of the allotment update and the end of this week's podcast thank you so much for joining me hope you have enjoyed it if you have enjoyed it then please do leave us a review or a rating on your podcast provider don't forget to please consider joining our supporters club five pound a month you get extra behind the scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month Details on that are at veggrowerpodcast.co.uk. You can also visit the veggrowerpodcast.co.uk, keep up with the latest blog posts, and you can leave a voicemail, which is an easy way to contact me, uh, ask a question, add a comment, and we can play that in to the podcast in the future. If you want to email me, my email address is richard at the uk and finally don't forget to check us out on social media we will be back again next week so until then please take care